It's okay that Paul said this morning. It's okay. Can, it's all right. It's, all, it's always morning in the gospel kingdom. Be a big hand for the, the band. That was good. It is, I, I mean this, I'm not going to stand this to butter you guys up. It is so good for me as, of course my son's interrupting me. Thanks Carter. I'm just kidding. Um, it is so good for me as I've been just thinking about joy. Just, I, I get joy listening to you guys sing and watching you guys sing. Don't be creeped out if you see me like watching you as you sing. Uh, it's just really sweet. It brings me a lot of joy to see you guys worship. Uh, it's really, really cool uh, to see that. Uh, so far this week. Um, I have a very important question. What was the hardest team challenge today? What was the, what was the hardest yeah. one? Puzzle. Who, who's, okay, I hear word puzzle. Who says word puzzle? <laughs> Some of you are like cussing about it. You're so angry. That's, that's inappropriate. Just kidding. Um, okay, what's another, what was the other like difficult team, most tennis, raise your hand if there's tennis balls. So like all four of you, okay, that's hard. Some people it's harder than others, okay. What about, I, I, I watched and, sorry, I laughed a little bit at the tent, the tent pole one. Was the tent one hard? No, because it sure looked hard for you. Um, it looked challenging. Um, I got to walk around a little bit and, and see you guys, see you guys do your thing. It was really, really fun. Um, I'm going to pray in just a moment to ask the Lord to bless our time uh, tonight. But I wanted to ask this question. Uh, I th- maybe I already asked this last night. I was tired. I'm sorry. I was tired last night. Submit so This might be the second time I've asked it. Um, how many folks, this is their first time to YXL? Way to go, everybody. That's great. That's great. That's awesome. Um, so, so likewise, raise your hand if you've been here before. Now just raise your hand if you've just been to a Christian camp. If you've just been to a Christian retreat or camp. Okay. So for those of you who are raising your hands... Tell me, man, you guys hate the front row. There's literally <laughs> nobody. I could just like stand here and kick stuff. This way. Um, be careful if you fall asleep. Throw it. Um, really? That guy's a jerk. Um, okay, so really, sorry, I'm all over the place tonight. Um, for those of you who have been to a Christian camp, tell me this. Tell me this. Uh, who has felt, for those of you, who has felt inspired? Raise your hand. Who felt inspired at a Christian camp? You raise your hands higher. It's okay. Some of you are like, is it okay to feel inspired? That's good. It's good. Uh, raise your hand if you felt motivated. Motivated at a Christian camp. Raise your hand if you felt joy. You felt joy at a Christian camp. Okay, a lot of Now, somebody, just one person. I don't need multiple answers here. One person. What's... I just saw a hand go up. I didn't even know. Uh, it's like family feud. Uh, who, who is that? There go my notes. Um, what, what, is, what is the classic, I'm not going to say it always happens, but what's the classic come home experience when you go to a Christian camp? What's the classic, like, I'm home now? I saw your hand pop up. What was the question? Okay, sorry. The question is, what's the classic, like, come home experience of, like, I was at a camp and now I'm home? What's the classic, like everybody talks about this experience? I'm seeing hand motions to start, took a crack at it. What is it? Usually sad. So sad, sad. I hate this. I don't like this. But no, okay, so there's, there's some sadness. But what's another way of describing the sadness? That's the, yeah? You get more sleep. 
You get more sleep. <laughs> True. Can't argue with that. Yeah, you come home like, here we go. I am ready. Everything's going to be different. Now, Mom, you heard me. Everything. I'm a different person. And then two weeks later, you're like, what was the name of that camp? <laughs> Who is that speaker? I didn't like him. He yelled too much. <laughs> it's, it's called the, the mountaintop. The mountain. Yes! 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 yes. So... Now I can't throw chairs at people who are sleeping. You've missed so much. Um, okay, so, so it's, it's the mountaintop. It's the mountaintop come down. Now, just be honest. Who's experienced coming home from a camp, even like YXL, as amazing as YXL, who's experienced the mountaintop come down before? Yeah. So tonight, we're going to talk about this. What does it mean to live out to live out the joy. Who's, who's felt joyful? Like a deep sense of joy so far this week? Some of your hands went down. No, not, not this week. Last week, not this week. I am angry that I'm here. No, okay. So, so okay, I'll, maybe I'll put that a different way. So we're going to talk about the joy that you, if you haven't felt it, you're going to feel this week. You're going to feel it. What does it look like to actually live that out and not just have a feeling that after a few weeks goes away? Not just have an experience that you remember positively, but what does it look like to live out the joy? So it's not just an idea that you strive for, but it's an identity. Joy as an identity that we live out. In other words, tonight the topic is this. How do we grow? to live in joy. How do we grow to live in joy? And this week, um, this is, I didn't do this last night, I just wanted to define it, but this is kind of where we're headed this week. We defined joy last night. We're talking about joy in our life tonight. We're gonna talk about, some of you, I've already heard from a few of you, I've talked to a few of you today, who have said, but yeah, but what about when someone dies? What about when my life sucks, right? What about, what about when life's, what about when I read news articles that are horrible? You want me to just like be a happy Christian? So we're going to talk about that with joy and sorrow. What does it mean to have joy in Christ? Did Jesus experience joy? What does it look like to pursue him in that? And we're going to talk about things that disrupt joy. And then how do we apply it? Before we go home, how do we actually apply this stuff? So before we jump into life, joy in life, let me pray. Ask for God to help us pay attention and focus and also just speak to us tonight. So let me do that. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the mountains. We thank you for our voices that you've given us that sing and worship. And we thank you for joy that you have made us to live in joy and commanded us to live in joy. We ask for your word and your spirit to speak to us now. Amen. Uh, do me a favor before we jump in. If you have a Bible, and I hope you all have your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, borrow a Bible. You can't borrow a Bible, memorize a Bible in your head magically. <laughs> Um, but get out your Bibles, do this. We're not going to get there yet, but just put your finger or, um, you know, like a little bookmark or a toothbrush in Psalm 84. Uh, Psalm 84 is what is where we're going we're to end up in Psalm 84. So just mark that because I'm not going to have the wonderful world of keynote for you to show that tonight. So I want you to actually open your Bibles and read it in a talk. Um, so just kind of look at Psalm 84, find it. Um, 
Starts with a P, not with an S if you're unfamiliar. Um, so Psalm 84, find that one. So we're going to revisit something from last night, and that's this. This is kind of where we left off. That Paul, remember, Philippians is our home base. We're looking at the book of Philippians mostly this week. Paul commands you, commands you as a Christian to have joy. He doesn't say, I hope you feel joyful. He doesn't say, sometimes you may experience this. Paul says, I command you to have joy. Okay? And our church fathers... Our church leaders over the centuries have picked up on this, have seen this super significant theme. By the way, we're not looking at Psalm 84 right now, so you can close it or mark it. We're going somewhere else right now. But just, we're going to get there. But church, the church over the years have said, man, a big theme of the Bible is joy. And to prove to you that I'm not just making stuff up, this is from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a, one of many long statements about essentially what do we believe as Christians? As the church, as Christians, as Christ followers, what do we believe, right? And it, and it communicates some of those things through statements. It communicates some of these things through questions. And the first question in the Westminster Larger Catechism, the first question is this question. Who, who's heard this question? Raise your hand if you've heard this question before. Look at all you guys. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, what is the chief end of man? Meaning what is like the, the core the core purpose of humans, right? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So the Westminster Confession of Faith, not the Bible, it's not holy and divine, but it is a very good statement of what we believe, says this, that your chief purpose, the reason you are here, the core thing that you are made for, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And a guy named John Piper, who I mentioned last night, who a lot of the stuff that we're talking about this week comes from things that he said, he rewords this a little bit. Remember, it's not the Bible, so it's okay that he rewords it. But he reworded a little bit this way. Did you catch it? Did you catch the switch there? He says, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So somebody tell me, what changed and why is it significant? What changed from bloop, bloop, what changed from that to that, and why is that significant? Yes. It changed from um, and to buy. Yes. It changed from and to buy, and why is that significant? Because it's explaining like how you glorify God is by enjoying Him versus mm -hmm. you do this and this. So instead of making two separate things, which not the, the, the first people who wrote this were going after that, but instead of it seeming like we got to glorify God and we got to enjoy him, it's saying, you know how we glorify him? We do it through and by enjoying him. We can think, we, we can sometimes think this, we default to this, that glorifying God is this, by the way, I am not dismissing the importance of glorifying God at all. The whole Bible calls us and beckons us to live our lives to glorify God. It is, it is who we are. We are made to glorify God. But sometimes we do this. We limit the definition of glorifying by saying, we're supposed to glorify God, and that's about Him, and it's over here. And it really, other than what we do to glorify Him, it doesn't do anything to us or for us. It doesn't have anything to do with us, right? It has no effect on us. It's all about it. Now, is it all about God? Yes, it is. He is the blazing center of all existence and all goodness. But sometimes what we do is we separate ourselves 
from what it means to glorify God. Like God's glory and our joy are these two different things. I'm going to glorify God my whole life. I hope that I end up being happy about it at some point. And the Bible says this, that God's glory and your joy are caught up together. And God designed you. God, God created you to experience that. In other words, we were created to glorify him. You were made to glorify him. And this is the reality. Even your friends that don't believe in God, this is true of them, because they are created in the image of God, that there's something in your stuff, there's something in you that feels joy when you're doing what you're made to do. So when we are truly and fully glorifying God with our lives, you can't help. You can't help but experience and feel joy. Here's a few things that Paul says that we're going to look at throughout the week. Just a few. I, guess I, got, I got a, just a smattering. That's a fun word. Uh, of, of things that Paul says in the book of Philippians about joy. He's talking about making prayers with joy. He's talking about Christ being proclaimed and finding joy in Christ being proclaimed. He's saying his joy will be completed when there's unity in his mind. We looked at this yesterday. Rejoice in the Lord. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. My brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, you are my joy, is what he says. And rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I want to look at these two things. Paul is adamant. He's not saying it's extra for you. He's saying it's imperative for you as a Christian to have joy and to rejoice. Tim Keller says this, to glorify something is this. To glorify something is to praise it, enjoy it, and to delight in it. Which means this. If you are not delighting in it, if you are not enjoying it, you're not glorifying it. You're not honoring it. My guess, and I don't want this to sound critical, but my guess is there's some of you that came to YXL this, this year, and you were darn sure that you were doing a great job at glorifying God. But you may probably haven't felt joy and delight in it in a long time. Now, not everybody, but my guess is there's some of you who have done that. Paul says, no, you're glorifying God, you're delighting in him, and you're enjoying him. Before we launch into Psalm 84, I want to just have a, as a launch pad this spot in Philippians 1. Paul's unfolding his purpose for the book, okay? So this is important for us because we're going to be in Philippians a lot. He's unfolding his purpose for the book. And in the midst of that, he's saying, this is why I'm writing to you. Now remember, the church at Philippi were some folks that were doing well, that were doing, and that their, their church was healthy. They were growing. And Paul's writing to them to encourage them to continue to do that. And this is what he says. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Now remember, he's in prison, so he's not talking about actually being with them in the moment, although he does desire to return to them physically. He says this, I, I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in faith. In other words, he's saying, I'm writing to you because I care about you growing in joy so that in me you may have ample cause to what? To glory in Christ Jesus. Because of my coming to you again. In other words, Paul's desire is this. Three things. I want you to, I'm writing to you. I know you're doing well, but I need to keep writing to you. A, a, a camp like YXL is a camp where 
we're all over the map probably of where we are spiritually, but we want to see us continue to grow in leadership and, and commitment to Christ. And, and, and Paul is saying to them and he's saying to us tonight, I want you to hear these words because I want to see your progress, your, your, your growth in joy towards Christ's glory. And those things you cannot separate. Growth, spiritual growth in joy for Christ's glory is what Paul wants us to do. In other words, growth is inseparable from joy in what you're doing. This is how I know that. My son Carter, who's running around here. By the way, if you like Pokemon, talk to Carter. <laughs> or those two guys like, they're like, what about me? I like Pikachu too. Okay, um, so my, 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 my son loves Pokemon, so talking. But my son also loves sports, so we've got him involved in two sports, soccer and baseball. How many soccer folks do we have here? So he's got two totally different experiences with both sports. Here's how I know. Soccer. The dude just doesn't get it. <laughs> um, you, you, and you know, he's sick. So you have this like pack of kids that are like sharks with blood in the water. that just chase after the ball. Right. And that's why soccer is frustrating for six year olds. My son doesn't even do that. Is he here, by the way? I'm sorry, buddy. If you're here, okay, good. Um, thank you. Um, my son is like on the sidelines, and he's supposed to be in the game, like kicking butterflies, right? He's just not interested, so he's not getting better, and so he's not getting better. So he comes home, like, did you like soccer? No. You want to play next year? No. And it's this cycle of I, I'm not, I'm not growing it. And I'm not getting better. I'm not growing, so I'm not liking it. And I'm not liking it, so I'm not growing it. There's baseball. And for some reason, the dude is so short for his age. Everybody else is so taller than him. But when he, like, he's got, like, the blessing of God from his elbow to his wrists. <laughs> and, like, he can just swing a bat. He can, he can just swing a bat. And so he just hits the ball left and right in baseball. And so he's getting better. He's getting interested. And when he gets better, what does he do? He likes it more. He delights in baseball. He's happy about it. Now, is it this, he has this thing in him that's just natural like baseball. No, no. He sees himself growing, and so he enjoys it more. And as he enjoys it more, he's going to keep growing in it, right? And we are people that spiritually, in our relationship with Christ, when we find ourselves growing, we get the momentum of like, I'm growing, and I'm growing in joy, right? We're going to continue to be in joy, and we're going to like it more. And as we like it more, we're going to continue to grow. And Paul is encouraging us that. Now, here's the deal. We oversimplify Christian growth. This is going to be hard for some of you to hear. But I'm guilty of it too. And your leaders are as well. But we oversimplify Christian growth to this. Growing is getting better at doing spiritual things. Growing is getting better at, at doing Christian stuff. Right? And as long as I'm growing in that, in the frequency, and how, how, how good it is. In other words, man, check out how many underlines are in my Bible compared to that guy's. You're laughing because you do it. Um, we, when we do that, now guys, I want you to hear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, spiritual disciplines are important. Reading your Bible is so important. We're going to talk about it later this week. Prayer, being in church, uh, 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 just having time with the Lord. Those are so important. But... When we reduce our Christian growth, sanctification, to am I doing these things frequently and well, we're reducing our faith to a progress report. And who has joy in progress reports? I'm sure actually some of you probably do. It's okay. Um, 
But we, we reduce our growth, our faith growth into, into these, these, these check boxes. And when we do that, what do we do? We ignore, we ignore our faith as a joy-giving relationship, right? It's one thing for me to know things about a person I'm in relationship with. But man, I'm sure studying all that their life is about really well. That's one thing. It's good. But that doesn't mean I'm going to have joy in their presence. It doesn't mean I'm going to have joy in, in, in their, 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 who they are. And we reduce our faith to simply doing spiritual things and we miss out on the joy of a joy-giving relationship. Here, here's an illustration. That's okay. We're going to cool that down and then we're going to jump into Psalm 84. But here's an example in the Bible. You guys know the story of Mary and Martha, right? Jesus is coming to her house, right? Martha's pumped. She's like, but I got to do all this stuff to be ready for Jesus to be here. Jesus shows up. What does Martha do? Does Martha talk to Jesus? Okay, thank you. Make sure somebody's awake. Okay, so, so no. Does she, does she even sit with Jesus? What does she do the whole time? She's trying her best. We have some Martha defenders here, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that. She's trying her best, right? She's trying. Her, she's excited that he's there, but she is caught up with just I gotta do these things to make sure I'm ready for Jesus to be here, right? What's Mary doing? She's sitting. She's sitting with Jesus. She 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 knows that his presence and relationship is there with her, and all she cares about is just sitting with him and being with. Martha's not enjoying herself in this story. Martha's not a person of delight in this story. She's a person of anxiety and stress and weight and probably some guilt. Why? Because she's not with Jesus. And what does Jesus say at the end of that story? He says, Mary has chosen what was better, which is joy. Mary chose joy, being with me. Not the weight of just trying to do what she thought she needed to do. We are setting, this is setting us up for Psalm 84 tonight. We are setting the wrong heading in our lives. We are calibrating, we are, we are setting the wrong direction. If we say, to grow in Christ, I have to get better at X, Y, and Z. Guys, I want us to be better Bible readers. I want us to be better prayers. I want us to be better evangelists. I want us to be better at, at fellowship. But if, it, if that's it, I got to be better at X, Y, and Z, and it's not. I want to be the foot of Jesus. And I, even if I don't feel joy in that right now, I want to sit there until I do find joy in it. Until my heart is reawakened to that again. Before we jump into, I have a question. Before we jump into Psalm 84, I have this question. What are the ways that you find yourself or just us as a group? What are the ways that we reduce enjoying God into just being a good Christian? What are the ways that we take the biblical call of in, glorify God by enjoying him forever and we reduce our Christian lives to just being a good Christian? What does that look like? Or doing things for God. What does that practically look like in our lives sometimes? How do we know when that's happening? Does that question make sense? Anybody? Yeah, right here. There's something the word personal. There's something personal going on there. 
Because I'll, this happens to me all the time. I have prayers, and, and Eddie prayer is good, but I have prayers where I'm like, that wasn't very personal. <laughs> I don't feel like I was actually talking with somebody. I felt like I was looking at a sheet that I wrote down. And, and, that, and it's good to have sheets that we write down and pray about. But there's an attitude of our hearts of being personal that sometimes our hearts just aren't awakened to and because we're not aiming it that way. So that's one. What are other ways that we know that we're reducing a joy-giving relationship with Christ to just doing stuff for Christ or doing spiritual things? Anybody else? Want to take a crack at it? You're not admitting fault if you don't, if you, uh, if you raise your hand. Yeah, right here. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So we've got to look at what's my motivation. We're going to talk about motivation in a second. What's my motivation for doing this, right? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this to appease people? Or am I doing this because I really want to be closer to God, right? And we've got to remember those things. It's important because of this. These questions reveal where our heart is at, right? So the question tonight is, how do we pray for and get and grow in real joy in our lives? How do we pray for, get, and grow in real joy in our lives? And we're going to do Psalm 84 to show us this, all right? So open up your Bibles to Psalm 84. It's going to involve you reading things uh, and paying attention to what's actually written in God's Word. And so this is a psalm celebrating a journey, celebrating a journey to the temple to find delight or joy in worship. So what's happening in this psalm is the psalmist is saying, here... We go, God's people, on the way to the temple to worship him, to delight in him, to find joy in the temple to worship God. So that's, that's, the, that's the idea. That's the theme here. And I've got three points for us, and we're going to go through pretty quick. Three points for how this psalm teaches us to grow in joy. Uh, and the first point is this, is that joy, be- joy begins with longing. Joy begins with a longing. The second thing that we're going to look at tonight is that joy leads us on a journey. So joy begins with a longing. Joy leads us on a journey. And finally, joy is fulfilled in God's presence. Our joy is full in God's presence. So joy begins with a longing. Joy leads us on a journey. And joy is fulfilled uh, in God's presence. Uh, We're going to read through this chunk by chunk. We're going to go quick. Uh, but I want us to really understand what God wants to speak to us here. Uh, and then we're going to sing a song about it when we're done, um, which is going to be exciting. First two verses, joy begins with a longing, verses 1 and verse 2. It says this, follow along. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. No right answers. What jumps out at you in verse 1 and 2? What snags you? Like, that's important. Or that, that means something. Or that's, that's telling. What jumps out at you in verse 1 and 2? Yeah, right here. Jess. Uh, the, my soul longs. Yes, thanks. It's like restating. He's going back and putting extra emphasis on this line. I, I like to picture people communicating these things, right? Um, like almost in a, in a dramatic way. Uh, like almost in a movie. And, and he, he reiterates, he goes, my soul longs. Yes, it's fainting for you. He is passionate about communicating how much he is yearning to be with God, right? So that jumps out of you, that language. 
yearning and fainting. Other people, what jumps out at you? What, what's interesting? Yeah, right here. Um, I like that too. Uh, my heart and flesh. My heart and flesh. Which, the way I wrote this down, guys, is, is this. All of me, all of me wants you. All of me wants to be with you. I don't feel reserved about anything. I don't have any like, well, maybe not. No, all of me right now feels that it wants to be with you, oh God. So there's this kind of all of me part. Other folks, what jumped out at you about verses one and two? Anybody else? Yeah, right here. Um, well, that's not longing. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Yes. He's talking about fainting, guys. And he's not saying, oh man, right now I'm kind of having a craving for God. He's saying, all of me needs you or I know that I will not survive. I know that I will not make it unless I get to you. Right, This, if you look at all the really smart people that are way smarter than me, when they look at this psalm, it's actually a lot of the language is resembling love poetry. So this is almost a love poem to God. His longing is so deep that it can be classified as a love poem. And, and here's the thing. That's good. Why, why is it good? We are creatures that are made... Uh, of love and desire. God made us to love. God made us to desire. God made us, made us to long for our true joy. Now, pause. This, this part of the psalm asks something of you, and I want you to get this. This is one of those questions where I'm like, if you are zoning me out of your dipping and I want you to get this part. Because this part of the psalm, if you, if you start to apply it to yourself, it asks you something that's hard. It asks you this. It forces you to ask, what do I yearn for? What am I fainting for? What do I love? What am I longing for? Am I longing for Christ? Can I say that I'm really longing for Christ in my life right now? Or what else? C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis says, you, are really, you really begin to enjoy something and find true joy when you praise it. What do your lips praise, folks? What do your lips talk about a lot? What do you find yourself speaking, that was awesome, about often? What are you, what are you praising? What are you, put it this way, what are you thinking about, talking about? This is a question that always gets me. When you daydream, when you're like at a, on a bus ride and you're just like by yourself and your mind just drifts, what does your mind routinely drift to, right? What is what, what does your mind go when your mind has a break? Where does it go? That's indicative, right? Or that shows, in many ways, what you're longing for. Does it does it does it go to popularity? Does it go to what if I was friends with that group? Does it go to what if I was prettier? Does it go to what if my body looked this way? Does it look what if I was athletic? What if I spoke better? What if I was smarter? What if I fill in the blank? What if I had my, my family had more money? Or what if I was a part of the Avengers? Or what if I played Major League Baseball? We laugh, but what does that say? It says, my mind wants to take a break, and my God is just simply being entertained all the time. 
And I say that, I can do that, right? We were made to long for, find joy in, and happiness in God and glorify him. And when we don't cultivate that, the joy for God dries up. So some of you I talked to today were like, but what if they just don't feel excited about God? Well, our, our joy dries up. The Bible talks about God taking hearts of stone and making them flesh. Um, my daughter, Harper, loves to color with markers, right? And at the beginning of school, the school year, you know, like, you get markers for people, and then the teacher sends home a bunch of markers because she has too many. And then my sister is like a school teacher, so she gives us markers. So my, my daughter has roughly, give or take a few, 1.2 million markers in her house, <laughs> right? And I get giddy when she leaves a marker open on the floor for a long time, right? What happens when you leave a marker open on the floor sometimes? It dries up and you can't use it, right? I love it because it gives me a reason to throw away the stinking markers. But that, that doesn't have anything to do with where I'm going. But my point is this. You leave, a, you leave a marker out, I'm just venting. My illustrations are just me venting to you. Um, my, a marker dries up. When you play with Play-Doh and you leave it out, what happens? It gets hard and turns into a rock. Not a real rock, but you know what I mean. Uh, it dries up. Guys, when we don't aim our hearts and put our hearts in places to feel joy and experience God's presence, yeah, they're going to dry up and they're going to be like, God's boring. God doesn't feel joyful. The longing for God, which is built into you, is going to dry up. Now, by God's grace, we have the Holy Spirit who can do things about that. But God also calls us to put our hearts in a position, right? Put our hearts in a position to praise him and honor him and glorify him. Two, joy leads us on a journey. This is going to be the bigger part of the passage, but it's a really good one. It's going to set us up for tomorrow. Starting in verse three, even the sparrow finds a home. The swallow finds a nest for herself. What's he talking about here? The psalmist is probably actually using these birds to talk about himself. A lot of smart scholar Bible people say, um, he says, the sparrow, the sparrow and swallow find a nest for herself where she may lay her young. In other words, I am, I'm flying, I'm looking, I'm on a journey, I'm joyful because I'm looking for God, but I'm still going somewhere. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King, my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those who are in your presence, right? Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion as they go through the valley of Baca. What's that? We're going to talk about it in a minute. They make it a place of springs, well, I'll talk about it right now. Why not? Verse six, they go through the Valley of Baca and they make it into a place of springs. The Valley of Baca was this geographical place that was very dry and it was actually called the Valley of Weeping because when you went through it, you would be in tears for the dryness of it, right? So think about this. The joy, the joy psalm, the guy like, I'm joyful about being with God, talks about what? Going through a Valley of Weeping and it one day being made into a place of a spring. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. There's two more verses and then we're going to break. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your enemy. So two people, two people. What jumps out at you in this passage? What snagged you in the language, whatever the point? So that was interesting to me. That seems significant. That seems important. Right here, so. The Valley of Tears, right? Right? Going through a Valley of Tears. A Valley of Tears seems pretty intense, right? What was said. Yeah. 
But there's this like joy momentum passage, and it talks about going through this valley of weeping, right? That seems significant. Other people, what jumped out at you? As significant in this section. Anybody else? Yeah, right here. Uh, in those last two verses, it's a very Yes, there's a pleading going on. Hear my prayer. There's a crying out and a calling out going to God, right? So this is the describing of the journey to the temple and this, a journey to joy. Why is it significant for you? Why is it significant for you? All of us are on a journey for joy in this world, in this broken world as we wait for Christ to return or us to see him in heaven. But especially in the teen years, we're figuring out who we are. We're figuring out what we're good at. We're figuring out our identities. And the teen years can feel like a search for joy, a search for purpose, a search for where am I going to find joy, right? And this part of the psalm is important because it describes joy as a journey, right? Now, the courts of a temple, the actual literal temple that he's talking about, they were open, right? They were open. So imagine this idea of people on a, on a journey, these birds, these swallows and sparrows, on a journey looking, searching for a place to set up shop and to live in the presence of God, right? So a couple points with this, with this joy leading to a journey. Uh, in, in the top part of verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Where do you find your strength to get through your days, folks? This this says it's in God's presence. This says it's in God's presence is where we find our strength. F uh, the end of, of five there. In whose heart are the highways to Zion. And then I want you to look right now quick at seven. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Joy comes from God. Joy is our strength. And joy leads to God from strength to strength. So joy comes from God, and the more that we experience joy, it also leads us to him. When we understand and feel and experience the joy of God in our lives, it just continually cycles us back to him, and we get a thirst. Our, our yearning and our longing is satisfied. So in other words, the motivation for joy is God, because joy comes from him. Now here's another question, a little diagnostic question for you. What's your motivation for joy? Who would say that they want to find joy in life? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Most of us want to find joy in life. When you're seeking it, what's your motivation for it? You want to give you an answer? Go. Just that joy I felt last time. Okay. It makes me want to work hard to achieve that again to get that feeling back. So it's a feeling that you felt and you're like, that was ideal for me. I want to get back there, right? Culture says the motivation for your joy is yourself. That's what you hear all over the place in culture. That the joy for our motivation is in ourselves. So my question is, is your pursuit of joy for you so that you can be happy? So that you can get to this ideal spot? So that you can finally achieve this, this moment of pure joy? Or is your joy for God? This psalm says your, your joy is for God, it's not for you. So when you have this thing, of like, I feel like I should be more excited about this. That's an indicator that your joy is for yourself. Or like, oh, I guess this, I thought this was going to feel different. That's an indicator that our joy is for ourself. Our motivation for our joy is this, this, this moment, this feeling, this experience. And this psalm is saying, no, 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 no. The motivation for our joy is God. Because you know what? You can't fake that, right? 
Why are you having your quiet times? Really ask yourself in your mind right now. Why are you having your quiet times? Why do you go to church every Sunday if you go to church every Sunday? Why do you pray consistently? Why do you do those things? Just ask yourself in your heart and minds. What do you, why are you really doing those things? What do you want to feel when those things are over to satisfy yourself? Joy can't be faked. I wrote it this way. Our pursuit of joy has to be about finding him, not finding yourself. And culture is attacking you with the lie that your joy is in finding yourself and you being you, right? And guys, that will bring momentary happiness. It will bring momentary pleasure. It will not bring a full, deep, soul-satisfying, God-glorifying identity of joy in your life in any circumstance. It won't do it. I went to, I went, we, but, we, but we were tempted to make it about us. Uh, I went, years ago, I went to Notre Dame, and it's so sad to see what happened to Notre Dame uh, in this terrible fire not too long ago. And uh, I got to move fast. Um, and at Notre Dame, I was there, and it's this beautiful, and when I was in there, there are these big windows called the rose windows. And I remember looking at them and just thinking this word, glorious. These windows were glorious. And I, and I, this wasn't the case when I was there, but I heard from a friend who was at Notre Dame right before it burnt down. They said this, that it was off-putting for them because when they were there, there were signs all around when you walked in that said this, no selfie sticks inside of Notre Dame. No selfie sticks, right? We experience the joy of glory. And we have something in us that wants to make it about ourselves. I think one of the reasons that we struggle with joy, guys, is we have something in us, it's called sin, and it's called sin and our fallen nature, that wants to make our joy about ourselves. Instead of just saying, God's glory is enough. My feelings can get wrapped up in that, but how I feel about it, my experience isn't as important as just God's glory. You will never have fulfilling joy if you make your joy about you and your amusement. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say about this part before we get to the, our, our last point, and then we'll close, um, is, is this idea of the valley of weeping I talked about. The psalmist in his journey for joy, he's, he's in so much joy, guys, he's crying out for joy. He's confessing that he also goes through valleys of sadness and dryness and drought, right? He's not saying that the journey of joy is this upward incline of everything is awesome, like he's in the Lego movie. He's not on this perfect incline that says, from here on, my joy will be this, this sequential moment that, that, that is culminated in this perfect fulfillment. He's saying the journey of joy, it involves drought, it involves dryness. It involves sadness and brokenness and weep, weeping. And, and, and the fullness of joy hasn't arrived. What does that back up? What we talked about last night. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Joy remains no matter what our external circumstances. In our journey, we, we need to cry out to God when we're experiencing sadness or brokenness or anger or doubt. Those things are caught up in the journey for joy. So joy begins with our longing. It leads us on a journey of relying on God's strength, not our own circumstances. And finally, and we're going we're to end with this part, joy is fulfilled in God's presence. And this is verse 
10 through 12. This is short. This is, we're almost done. If, if you're starting to slow down, because I've been talking for a while, wake yourself up, slap yourself if you need to, slap your neighbor if that's fun for you, whatever. Um, so that one you actually paid attention to. Um, but 10 through 12, 10 through 12 is what we're going to look at here, guys. And this is how he finishes. This is how he finishes. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day with you, O oh God, is better than a thousand watching all the movies that I could ever have. A thousand playing any video game that I would want to accomplish. A thousand taking classes to learn and, and acquire knowledge as much as I can. A thousand being in the most popular, beautiful, wonderful, glamorous groups ever. A thousand fantasizing about my ideal life. A thousand in a perfect chateau in the mountains. A day in your courts is better than a thousand in those places. If you're convicted that you don't feel that way, I understand. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a couple of nights. But he says, a day in your courts is a better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather open the door for folks in your house, the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. A few points about this, a wrap-up, and then we're going to be done. Um, so we're now we're at the threshold of God's temple. We're not on the journey. We're there. We're in his presence. What's he saying about the doorkeeper? The journey to joy leads him to a place, I want you to hear this, where he's willing to give up his own thirst for status, his own thirst for image, his own thirst for what he looks like, how he dresses, how others uh, perceive of him. He's willing to get rid of all of that worldly joy just to be with God. His appearance, his ego, all of it, their afterthoughts to being with God. He says, I would rather. In other words, he's saying, I have chosen. I have chosen this. I'm not talking about predestination. I don't want to get into that, so don't get all fuckled about that. But um, he's saying, I would rather. I have chosen to be with you and not with these things. Because these things keep me from joy. If you want to go home with joy, folks, you're going to have to get a piece of paper out and you're going to have to write some things down that might be good, fine, and normal things to have in your life. But they are things because of how much you love them, you need to say, I need to get these out of my life because they are keeping me from true joy. I would rather, I would rather be with God than be with these things. And we might need to make some hard decisions going home about what that sheet needs to look like. He calls God a sun and a shield. What does a sun do? It provides light and life, and a shield protects us from harm. Guys, the joy we get from building our social status and resume doesn't last. What people think of you in high school doesn't last. But a relationship with Christ does, and it gives life, and it protects us when we go through the valley of weeping with pain and sadness and drought. Here's my wrap-up. Two minutes. Give me two minutes. C.S. Lewis, in a book called Surprised by Joy, says he searched for joy his whole life. His whole life. Says he couldn't find it. He went everywhere. He went to everything. If you read the story of C.S. Lewis, he went everywhere looking for joy. He couldn't find it. Then he found Christ. But twist. It wasn't, I found Christ and then I found joy. And that's not what he says. It says, then I found Christ... And joy became less important. I think I have a slide with a quote on it, maybe. Yes. Hold on a second. He says, joy wasn't important to me anymore, is what he actually said. Why? He says this, joy itself 
considered simply as an event in my own mind. In other words, I'm going to get to this point where I suddenly experience joy and then I'll know that I have it. He said, it turns out to be of no value at all, that experience. All the value lay in that of which joy was the desire. And that object, meaning all, all, all that value was the object, not the, the journey of the search. And that object, quite clearly, was no state of my own mind or body at all. In other words, what he's saying there is his, his longing for joy was always a longing for something outside of himself. And that was Jesus Christ and the cross and his love for you and what he did on the cross and what he did in the resurrection and his commitment and faithfulness to C.S. Lewis. Totally outside of himself, totally outside of us. That was his joy. It wasn't an experience. It was that fact. What are you longing for? I want you to ask yourself that tonight and tomorrow before we gather again. What are you longing for? What are you yearning for? When you go into to autopilot, what are you lusting after? What is your motivation for finding joy? Is it a mountaintop experience? Is it something outside of yourself? Paul points you to the glory of Jesus Christ. And this week we're going to fight. We're going to fight for finding joy in that glory. Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We fall short of you. Your joy and the joy that you give us is enough. It's enough for us, Jesus. But we don't always believe that. Oftentimes we don't believe it. I just pray, God, that you would sweep through this camp with your Holy Spirit and realign our hearts and minds, recalibrate our thoughts of saying, what am I, what am I looking for? We need to answer that question, God. What are we looking for? Help us to do that, Jesus. And help restore unto us a joy in your salvation. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.